Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. So introduce yourself. I'm Laura Gay with Consolidation Coach. Very cool. Chad Smith, also with Consolidation Coach. Very cool. Awesome. Chad Smith, Consolidation Coach. Tell me what it is that Consolidation Coach does. What we do is help clients that are looking or even considering exiting the collision industry. Got it. Help kind of make that decision. You know, let them know what the ins and outs are of that decision, how it flows through. And we also help them with valuations of their business through different right. ways and if, if if we go through that process and all looks like it's amicable for their business or for their family to maybe perhaps exit the industry we yeah. take the next step and we can help them do that through our connections with different buyers well so i've been watching you for a really long time and i watched some of the things that you guys do and it's interesting because i i hired somebody who originally lived in florida and her dad owned an auto repair or a, a body shop right and so she said the best thing that he ever did was sell the collision shop. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, he, he was a collision guy. And he didn't really know how to run the business. It wasn't that he wasn't a good business owner. It was just he didn't really know how to run the business. And she said, so when the merger and acquisition opportunity came up, you know, it was like a godsend for them because the stress level was so high, all these different things. And he was getting to that point in life where – you know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes we get tired of doing this after a while, right? Yeah. And so, recently, there's been some some comments, and, and I think you guys, and, and the reason I've asked you here to talk about this is because I think you guys have a good feel for the market. And I don't think it's just in collision that y'all have a feel for the market. I think auto repair as a whole, y'all kind of have a, a finger on the pulse of the, the market as a whole. But there has been a post going around, and I'll look, I'll just pull it up and we'll read it. But there's been a post going around that got a ton of traction. I won't say that it went viral, but it says, Shop Owner Friends, the amazing run of easy money is over in our industry. I know most owners will say they're different. However, the downturn will affect everyone. I watched our industry shoot to the moon over the past couple of years. Even the worst operators made money and grew their companies. I've watched arrogant vendors dress up like movie stars and show off fancy cars, planes, and boats. The froth should scare you. Please protect your company by saving money. I'm praying for my shop owner friends. What do you think when you hear that? Um, I think there's some truth to that, but it feels a little fear-mongering. Um, I think that there's going to be lots of cars to fix no matter yeah. what. I mean, the proof was in the pudding through COVID. Um yeah. 
there was less cars on the road, less miles driven, and most shops in America were still steadily busy and um, backed up with work. So uh, I don't want to say we're a recession-proof business, but I do believe we are fairly recession-proof. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's some truth to it. You know, I think, think there might be some some setback. You know, we may realize right. that some, but I don't think that it's going to be monumental um, unless we have a depression like in the 30s. And I, I really right. don't think that's imminent. No. Yeah, I don't either. And I, I don't I don't see the writing on the wall for that. And I, I, you bring up something a lot of people in that post said, or, or maybe they didn't say it in the post, but there was a lot of chatter behind the scenes. And people were saying, this is really sounding like fear mongering. What's the what's the purpose of scaring those people? I mean, I think it's great to have some money saved back. And I think if you're a good operator, you've got some money saved back. So my question for you guys is, is I, I know what it is in the auto repair space. When we talk about collision, are you seeing more of these independent shops that have some money put back? Or are they prepared for hard times? I think you've got two kinds of owners. You've got uh, body shop owners that were a body man or a painter and somehow became an owner. And they've got limited business knowledge. And those guys run their business off a checkbook balance. And then I think you've got the more professional owner um, that really has business knowledge. Maybe they were a painter or a body man, but they've got knowledge and and they've learned uh, how to be a professional business owner, collision shop owner. And I think that, you know, you've got some stuff in between that. But I think for the general rule, that's what you have. So I think that probably the folks that are on the more professional side, they're probably the folks that are, do have some reserves. Right. Um, and I think you should have reserves no matter what, because if you're you know highly DRP centric, and yeah. let's just say you lose one of your main partners, you know if you're not very well diversified, you know I've seen shops go out of business because of that. You know, so I mean yeah. you should have reserves no matter what. Right. Well, you know I I remember just about the time that I opened my shop. You know, I've had a shop, but then we opened a 10-bay facility. And it's just a repair shop. It's not collision. But I, I went and I bought some equipment out of an auction of a collision shop that was in Asheville, North Carolina. And so I was talking to the auction people, and they said, this is actually a really sad story. And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, this was a situation where the dad had built up millions of dollars in reserves and, and opportunity for the business. And it was a good flowing business and it made money and it did what it did. And they said that the, the children came in after the dad died and took over the business <laughs> and they spent all the reserves and they basically ran the business into the ground. And he said, what was sad about it is he said, if you go back before the dad died, there was enough net profit that the business wouldn't have been able to sell. And they said, now that the kids took over, the kids didn't have any net profit. And they went to an accountant, and the accountant said, oh, no, no, if you have net profit, you're going to pay taxes. So you don't want net profit. You want to get rid of the net profit. And then the business got to a point that it didn't have net profit. It wasn't worth anything. And the property, because of EPA reasons, Mm -hmm. the property all of a sudden wasn't worth anything, right? They basically were going to pay somebody to take it to clean it up because they'd spilled paint and chemicals and all kinds of stuff all around the place. And so I think about that when we talk about shop owners. You know, if you're going to sell a business, you have to be prepared to sell a business. This is not just something that, you know, the tools are going to be worth $100,000 and this is going to be worth that. And I'm going to walk out and sell it. You got to be prepared to sell your business, right? I mean, you can't just. Absolutely. Um, I was just on a panel at CIC and that was what we talked about quite a bit was that you do need to be prepared. But there's a lot of people that get in a position 
you know, again, we talk about, you know, t- types of owners. You have two, two different types of owners when it comes to folks that are selling. You've got, you know, again, the professional owner that is preparing. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. ...that um, has management folks in place that are on a big enough scale where, you know, they can leave and go on vacation for two, three weeks, a month at a time or completely exit and the shop runs on its own. And then you have owners that are uh, take kind of what I call the ostrich approach where, you know, they come in and they they fix cars every day and they do a great job doing that. But as far as thinking about an exit plan or thinking about if I get run over by a bus, what's going to happen? Yeah. You know, to me, what's going to happen to my shop? How are things going to continue? You know, I, I, I say they're an ostrich because they stick their head in the sand and really just focus on fixing cars. And those are the ones that come to us at the breaking point when they're just ready to sell because they're stressed out. They've had enough. They don't want to get any education or anything to yeah. try to, I don't want to say save themselves. They're just done. And those are the folks, I mean, they'll still do good and everything, but they could do so much better, you know, if they were prepared. So I I think that the important takeaway from that is if you've got the time to be prepared, it's great. If you don't, it doesn't mean the end of the world. I mean, we've had plenty of clients come to us that were unprepared, either fire sale. I've got a client right now that had a stroke. Um, You know, he's got to sell because he's incapable to run his shop now, you know? So, I mean, that happens and we can certainly help those. But obviously if you're prepared and you've got the business where it runs itself, I mean, that's really what consolidators and these buyers that are out buying shops today are looking for shops that run themselves and don't need the owner there to manage it. But it doesn't mean that those other types of shops aren't don't have value. They absolutely do. So let me ask you this, because we, we've, in auto repair over the past couple of weeks, we've we've watched a really terrible and sad situation unfold. And it was that it was a husband and wife team, and the husband is no longer with us, and they have two young kids. And she said, I can't be mom, and I can't run the household and do the things I need to do and run the shop. And we've been struggling to find people to work in the shop. And all of these pieces of this puzzle, how do we, how do we prepare for that? Right? Because we're seeing a lot of shop owners who aren't prepared 
right? And that's a scary thing. Like when you get to the point, like we, I think we always imagine we have tomorrow. We always imagine like everything's right. going to be fine, you know, and, and it was really neat because Nathan Bryant, one of uh, the moderators in ASOG, we were talking a while back and he said, I know that my shop, because of what I want it to be, will never be more than me just running the shop and being there. And he said, I know I'm never going to earn enough net profit that the business will ever be worth anything. So I know there's nothing to sell because I'm renting the building. And he said, so what I've done is he said, I've built insurance and things around myself. I've invested in that now. So if something happens to me, my wife's taken care of, right? Gosh, we're talking to a lot of shop owners who are nowhere near that thoughtful and thinking ahead. Mm. What's the strategy? How do we begin to get them educated to where they know? I mean, I know you're in collision, but it yeah. I, across the board, you know, how do we get them educated? So Chad and I have a mutual friend that we work with. Um, his name's Matt D. Francesco. And um, he does a lot of that sort of stuff, preparing shops for, you know, the the worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we're more focused on, you know, selling shops or helping shops sell and realizing that getting the most money out of it. I mean, shop owners work their whole life. Yeah. You know, they, they should absolutely get every penny their 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 value is uh, of the business. Um, so I, I'd say, you know, like Matt Francesco, he's great with that. Um, and he can, he's probably more geared to answer a question like that. Yeah. But I think in the same light, I think that a lot of that type of planning is kind of common sense. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah, sure. You know, life insurance is a great place to start. I mean, I carry life insurance, um, you know, um, I mean, I kind of have a, I don't want to say kind of, I do have a, 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 you know, God forbid I get run over by a bus right. tomorrow. I have a plan in place to, to keep things running. Right. So um, I think that's, it's common sense things, but I think it's really, really hard to think about that. You know, like what, like, what if I died? You know what I mean? Yeah, for it, sure. It's hard to think about writing a will, you know, it's just, or a trust or whatever it is that, you know, whatever instrument that you're using. Yeah. Um, don't you agree, Chad? Yeah. And I think that goes back to the nature of the post. I mean, I'm not familiar with the post, but he kind of lost me when he said easy money, because there is no easy money. Right. Exactly. In, in, in any of our industries that are related to automotive. Right. You know, because... And again, trying to apply some of the things we've just talking about to across the spectrum of different owners because every owner is different. Yeah. I mean, you've got some owners that are more, they're, they're, they're so, I guess, what's the word, dedicated or devoted to that business. They yeah. feel they have to be there. They have to be on the shop floor. They have to be hands on. They have to right. work more in the business yeah. than working on the business. Whereas you have other owners that are more forward thinking. You know, right. as far as maybe not necessarily exit planning or succession planning, but right. what happens if something happens? So they're trying to gear themselves more toward that right. event uh, by trying to think outside the box and working on that business as opposed to in the business. So to say there's one cookie cutter answer for all this, you know, that's where it, we're kind of fooling ourselves by thinking that way. Exactly. Yeah. But I think the thing about it is, and people in our industry, we need to stop at some point and just sit down and think. Where are we in our business? Where are we and how that relates to our family and how that relates to the next day or the next year, right. whether I'm here to help this business succeed or if I'm not, right. you know, what does that look like? And what do I need to be thinking about outside of the shop as opposed to thinking about what's inside the shop? Absolutely. And, and we get so ingrained into the business that, oh, yeah. that we can't see it. 
It's a right? vacuum. And and what I, times. yeah, well, what I've watched of y'all's post is that's really what y'all do is y'all come in from that thirty thousand foot perspective. And you bring some perspective to them that, you know, and I'm sure you've had to have some conversations with some folks that are like, hey, so by the way, you know, and I, I've told the story before. The first shop that I looked at buying before we built this last shop, we went and looked at the shop and it was like not exactly what we wanted. But I said, well, if we can get a good deal in the shop, maybe we should buy it. And so I start talking to him and I'm like, all right, well, do, have you been paying rent or a mortgage or anything and he said no no i own the property and i said okay well you've been taking a paycheck no no i, I don't need a paycheck because i don't want to pay taxes on the paycheck mm-hmm. okay do you have you know more records than this because it shows you made a hundred thousand dollars last year no no i took all cash because i didn't want to right <laughs> well i'm sitting, going up everywhere right, i'm sitting here <laughs> saying like i hate to tell you this but the equipment in the shop's 30 years old that means you've got a piece of property with some old buildings on it. That's the value here, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And he's like, no, no, the phone number's probably worth two or $300,000 alone. Nah, man. No. <laughs> like, that's not how it works no. today, no. you know? And so I think that we've a lot of times we get ourselves to where we're so focused on running the business that we don't see the whole picture. It, is there I, – I don't want to say the, the black book, right? Because when I think of that, I think of like – I've got a list of things and people that my wife would call if something happened to me. Who do you call? What do you do? What do you tell them? What, where is, you know, even account passwords and, and all of that information in the event that something happens to me. That's not really so much what I'm talking about, but what would a shop owner do, even collision or auto repair, what would a shop owner do if they want to begin the process of saying, hey, I need to be prepared if I want to sell my shop? What are the big mistakes that you're seeing on the field right now that they could do that would make a major difference for them when they go to sell? Well, I think the very first thing they should focus on is improving their sales. Uh, Sales equals value. Um, I mean, it's the number one driver of value. Um, And Chad and I could just ping it back and forth, Chad. No doubt. I mean, it's sales, but I think one thing is just starting to plan. Yeah, you know what does that what does it look like? What what where am I failing? Whatever you know, it, whatever that might be. If you're if you're looking to exit out or whether it's a session, but you've got to start thinking. So many times, like we were saying, working in our business, sometimes it's like I was saying, it's a vacuum. We've you got to step back yeah. from a I don't want to say a thirty thousand foot level, but some kind of level outside of that business and say, is this business running me or am I running this yeah. business? Yeah, you know, and try and change your mindset to that point to where you can start doing what we're just talking about. Okay, with that being, if I'm gonna run this business, what do I need to focus on? What's my one year, three year, five year, ten year plan? Whatever that looks like. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be crazy defined, but at least start somewhere. Right, and then start pushing. Well, based on that goal, then come back to say, okay, here's my top three things I need to be working on the next six months to a year. Which, granted, uh, for for valuation. It's all about sales. Right. It's all about sales. You say that. How long do they need to have those sales where they should be? Right? Because, you know, the people who, especially if we're talking about M&A, right? If we're talking Mm -hmm. about mergers and acquisitions, they know what the number should be. Yeah. Right? You're not going to fool them. You're not going to pull the wool over their eyes because they've already seen what the numbers are or what the shop's capable of. How long do they need to see those numbers where they're supposed to be for that shop to get optimum? I would say it's uh, 
you know, it, it, it's typically 24 to 36 months. It varies by consolidator. Okay. Um, some of them want to see a longer track record than that, you know, because of COVID. Yeah. You know, through COVID, a lot of shop owners grew, yeah. had tremendous, you know, increase in sales. But right. there were regional areas that, you know, shops were down 50%. You know, yeah. parts of Maryland, uh, there were shops that were down 50% of sales because they weren't considered essential. So sometimes they want to go back that far. But I would say as a general rule, 24 months. Um, okay. And, um, you know, again, we, we know how to play some games with some of that stuff. And I shouldn't say call it games. That's not probably the proper um, proper wording. But right. we know how to get around some of that. And, and there's a lot of shop owners that have realized a lot of growth, growth post-COVID due to various different reasons. And... Um, Again, we, we can. Hey, everyone, it's Lucas. I'm sorry to jump in, but I thought it was important to come and say this. You know, I'm often asked, why do we always talk about Kim and Brian Walker and shop marketing pros on the show? It's because we genuinely believe in their product. Why do I use them for my own marketing? In fact, they're building me a new website right now. It's not cookie cutter. I kept getting on Facebook and every shop looked the exact same. I didn't want to be that. And it's not just that. It's that they're part of your team. When you hire them to do your marketing, they get to know you. They know what you believe. They know what you say, and they know why you do what you do. And they share that with your clients. That's huge. And beyond all of that, probably the most important factor in all of this is they stand behind their work. So don't wait. Go today and get your free marketing analysis from Shop Marketing Pros. They're genuinely our friends, and they're genuinely here to help shop owners have a better life. Click on the link in the show notes for your free marketing analysis today. That's right. It's free. doesn't cost you a dime. Just We can support all that, assuming that we have uh, the reasons why. Right. That's right. kind of market, you know, depending on what market we're looking at in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, that I too. Agree, I agree with that 100%. Two years is kind of your key benchmark right. of what they're going to be looking at. You know, some people would think, you know, my last year, well, that's great, but it, can you sustain it? So that right. two year yeah. gives you that sustainability. And, and another thing to think about, and you didn't mention this, but I just want to comment on this. Like consolidators are, as a rule, they're looking for a shop that's a minimum of 10 to 12,000 square foot. They're looking yeah. for shops that do two to $3 million in sales. Um, and, and they want it to be fully staffed, you know, right. and, and it doesn't have to have ma a man. I mean, it's ideal to have a manager in place that's running it, but it doesn't have to be completely autonomous. I mean, that's not like a deal killer. No. Um, and even what I just said is not a deal killer, you know, certain markets right. there are certain buyers that will buy, you know, shops that may not be doing the sales, but have the square footage or maybe has a square footage and not doing the sales or vice versa. Yeah. So, yeah. well, and, and, you know, you think of that and you think of, of where so many of these guys are at mindset wise, and you think about where they've been, you know, like I said, fixing the car, right. fixing the car, fixing the car. I, I'll tell you one of the big pushbacks that I hear from so many shop owners in both sides, collision and mechanical is that, uh, I'm really nervous about letting my shop go because of my people. I want to be here for my people. Yep. And, you know, we watch that other situation unfold where, like all of a sudden, it, it's it's not your choice anymore. You don't have say in it, right? And that's the that in my mind is the worst case scenario. We don't ever want to get to the point that we don't have any say in it, and it's too late to have say in it. Yeah. So it stands to reason for me we need to be preparing what five six years before we you know obviously we in that case you wouldn't know that that's coming right. But I'm saying like how far out does a shop owner need to plan for something like this? 
So Chad and I are former shop owners. Uh, Chad, Chad had three stores in Mississippi. I had two stores in Maryland. We both sold. Yeah. So we went through that trauma of <laughs> what's going to happen to our yeah. employees. Yeah. And it's hard. And for me, you know, I, my store lost 50% of the people within four or six months. Oh, and man. it was very hard to see that happen. You know, I'd worked so hard to build this team. And it was just like, you know, there was just no appreciation or arms wrapped around keeping my people together. And it, it was really hard to watch unfold. Yeah. And, um, but I can tell you that a lot of the consolidators have suffered from taking that approach and they've learned a lot from it. And we're seeing a lot of consolidators that are really, really super hyper-focused on retention. Mm. Some of them are doing uh, retention bonuses, uh, in increasing pay, benefits, mm -hmm time off, uh, figuring out what makes these employees tick and yeah. putting together packages that make sense for them instead of making it a cookie cutter approach. Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of different um, uh, approaches, if you will. Um, and um, and I think you're going to continue to see that. Yeah. And like when you sold your shops, I don't know that you and I ever talked about it, but how, what is the retention level at your shop? We sold our shops. It'll be two years in December. And I think their retention rate as of, I would say in the past 30 days is probably 80%. Wow. wow. You know, but again, that's when we, of course, we sold two years ago, whereas Laura sold five, six years ago. So maybe between eight. that time, eight, eight years ago. Right. <clears throat> so maybe in that period of time, they have finally decided that, you know, we have to take more approach to be in a more yeah. employee centric integration when we I acquire they somebody. Have. They, they have to because most, all of our clients, every last one of them, at some point in that conversation, when we talk about, what it looks like, or yep. we're on the road to maybe getting the deal done, the, the employees come up, well, what is this going to look like for my folks? How, how yeah. are they going to be well taken care of? And and we have to be brutally honest with them. You know, some are better than others, but we all feel that the buyers are looking for a, when they look for a shop, they're looking at the culture of that shop. They're looking at the employee yep. base and what makes it up because we've both had conversations with buyers, you know, let's be honest with the private equity or whatever the funding is they have. Buying the equipment, buying the green space, the brown space, that's not yeah. the issue. The issue is the people. Yeah. people. And if they can find the, a good location that's got a good basis but great people or great yeah. culture, they're going to do all they can to retain that. Of course, right. it's not just – and again, you can get in the whole debate about, well, if you run your business in our space, it's collision, non-DRP model, and most of yeah. the bigger MSOs that are buying are our DRP-centric type model. Yeah. There's going to be a clash there, and some things just doesn't yeah. – doesn't, I guess, for lack of a better word, jive with everyone. Yeah. But sure. I mean, outside of that, they're going to do everything they can to keep those folks. We, we relate that <laughs> in, in our side to that transactional versus relationship business model. Sure. Right. And so that we see a lot of a lot of transactional shops that is just about the dollar bill. It's about the turn. Let's turn and burn. Get the car in. Get the car out. Get the car in. Get the car out. Whatever we have to do. And and I've learned more about DRP since I've I've worked with AASP and um, mm -hmm. and I have a collision shop employee. She was a she was a estimator for a local collision shop. She came to work for us. And I've learned a lot about that and the perspective that they have and working with them. And, you know, when when I went from – so I was in a three-base shop, right? And we were fairly consistent. We were doing $125,000 a month in three base. One bay was only seven foot tall, right? So it wasn't <laughs> even a full bay. And we did $125,000 a month consistently, like all That's the awesome. time. And then we move into 10 base. And guess what? What it takes to feed 10 base is very, very different than what mm -hmm. it takes to feed three. <clears throat> 
The break was, even is real. Yeah, exactly. And so all of a sudden, my whole mindset changes, right? Like my thought process of how we do business and what we do when we're running a business is very different than it was just two years ago. And and I think that owners, you know, is, especially as we talk about older owners who have been in the business for a long time, they can lose some of that perspective of what it's like, especially when it comes into a big business like that. They've been running it. They've paid for it. And so for them, they just do what they have to do. They don't have to earn as much money to pay the right. bills. The property's paid for, all of these things. But they, the problem is, is they're, they're getting ready for succession. They're getting ready to move on, and then they get complacent and they get comfortable. And so now all of a sudden, it doesn't matter. Well, I don't have to take DRP, and I don't need their money because I don't want to deal with the hassle. I don't want to have to talk to them all the time. I don't want to have to take the lower payouts, right? And so the next thing you know... They're getting complacent. They're making less money. And all of a sudden, the business becomes worth way less than it was. Exactly. And so I just, I worry that they get into this downhill slide they don't even see they're getting on to. And we see that a lot, too. I actually had a conversation with a gentleman yesterday. Same exact thing. Second generation ownership. Yeah. And when we went through our valuation with him, it just kind of shocked him that it was not worth what he anticipated it would be worth. But again, he's looking at all the factors that... Although we as owners strive to have good customer service, great quality, good community standing, payback in the community, that doesn't really add to the bottom line when you go to, I guess, market to sell your business. Right. It it just absolutely doesn't. But there's something in our hearts as owners. We put a lot of sweat and effort. That's the number one thing that's important to us. Right. 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 But when you go into the open market, it's it's not, it doesn't, that doesn't cross that breath evaluation sometimes the, the numbers don't go on to mm. the bottom line and everybody's right. looking at that bottom line that's right but i think it's also important to know that we have many shop owners that come to us that their profit loss statement shows either zero profit or negative profit mm-hmm. and they might be doing three million dollars in sales that does not mean that their business is not worth anything right. their business right. is still worth quite a bit so don't if anybody has a takeaway from this, I think the takeaway is don't feel that if your shop is has no profitability on the profit and loss statement, right. um, even like if you're running things, a lot of people run things through their business, motorhomes, cars, race cars, whatever, you know, those types of things could be added back. But even if you had them back and you still don't have profits, it's not the end of the world. There are ways we know how to, for lack of better words, Work the system. We know how to. Right. Uh, we we've got three approaches to doing valuations, and we we know how to to combat that. And that's we get that a lot. We we have customers call a lot that that just they don't they're not making any money, and they just think yeah. their business is worth nothing. And and it that's couldn't be further than further from the truth. So if if that's the case, then do you recommend having them do a valuation sooner than later? In other words, even if they're not planning on selling. Is it worth having a valuation done on the business to at least have a game plan or an understanding of where you're at? I, I absolutely think it's important to get a valuation done. And while we're talking about that is a lot of people will go to their accountant and get a valuation done or oh, CPA. Man. And, <laughs> oh, you know, man. accountants are great. CPAs are great. But yeah. they're great for performing tax returns. Yeah, They're not great for doing business valuations. And I'm not saying that to be picking on them, but they don't know the industry. They don't know what's going on. And often I, we've seen many, many CPA prepared valuations 
that are extremely undervalued. And it comes back to they're using generally accepted accounting principles to determine the value. And that's great. But a lot of times, especially with these shops with no values, that method doesn't work. And we've got other methods that we can help them with to to identify and understand what the value of the business is. So I think if you're going to get a business valuation, you know, I'm not saying you got to come to us, but there's lots of people out here that do what we do. Make sure it's somebody that's a mergers and acquisitions specialist that specializes in doing um, these types of deals in either in the automotive space, whether it's collision, mechanical, um, aftermarket, whatever it is, somebody that, that has that background and knowledge of of what deals are trading for. Cause that's a big difference, you know, what the business is worth and, yeah. and what it, you actually can get for it, you know? And I think that's an important piece to understand as well. So there, there's been, I've, I've gotten five business cards in the last three months it, and I've come back from a show and there's a business card laying on my desk and I'm talking to a lot of shop owners getting the same thing and it's brokers coming in saying, Hey, we're interested in buying the shop. We're interested in buying the shop. What do you think about that? Because some guys say see that and they throw out a number and they just say, eh, it sounds close enough to what I want. And they take the money and they go with it. What do you think about that? Is that broker coming in as a representative of the shop or is that broker coming in as a representative of who wants to buy the shop? In other words, what what is their focus when they come in? Because some of these guys, it seems like they could have got a lot more money if they'd have held off and talked to somebody and, and maybe prepared a little bit before, but these guys are walking in and offering a big number and they get emotional about it and they take oh, the yeah. money and run. That's a great question. I'm really glad you asked that question. So the, probably, I obviously am not a, a mind reader, but I would be willing to bet that those folks that are coming in are by well, representatives. So. Uh, meaning that somebody has hired them to come in, focus on a market or an area and try to, you know, get deals done. Um, We work uh, as sell side, meaning that we represent a shop that's selling. So we're going to make sure that you get the most money. And you're absolutely correct. Somebody will come in and and quite honestly, that's what happened to me when I sold my stores. Um, Consolidator after consolidator and their representatives after representatives were kept coming in my shop and throwing numbers out, you know, and honestly, they were getting my attention. And, um, you know, I can see that if you're broken down, you're tired, you're weary, you know, where that might look good. But think of it this way. You go out to dinner, you get a pizza and, you know, some appetizers, some stuff, some mushrooms, some fried mushrooms. Okay. And the bill's $35 and you got a hundred dollar bill. Are you going to leave $100 and walk away? No, you're not going to leave that money on the table. Right. You're going to pay the $35. You're going to give the tip. You're going to get your change. You're going to go on your way. Why would you do that to your business? You yeah. never would do that to your business. You definitely don't want to leave any money on the table. And and I think it's important, you know, whether you want to sell your business on your own or you want help, at minimum, you should get evaluation and get talk to somebody to get some knowledge so that you're not leaving those pennies on the table. And then on that, another part is... The tax, you know, when you go to sell your business, a huge, I mean, monumental piece of this is the tax. What are you going to pay? And depending on what your corporate structure is, and I am not a CPA, so um, (laughs) I would tell you to go see your accountant, you know, and talk through this with them. But, you know, if you're a C-Corp, you you need to put your helmet on and get ready for a crash because that's a 
the worst probably structure you could have. You know, and right. if you're an S corp, probably I don't know if it's the best, but it's it's a lot better. So I think it's important to understand that. But more importantly, is depending on how it's structured, whether it's an asset purchase or a stock purchase, you know, alloc- tax allocations, which basically uh, are negotiated no different than the sale price of the business, are an Im- important piece of the deal. And what's favorable for the seller is not so favorable for the buyer. Yeah. So it's a push-pull negotiation thing, just like the sale prices. So that's a huge piece that you definitely want to talk with whoever's helping you um, and understand that piece. Because that is something where you think you're getting $2 million. Right. And then, then at the end of the day, you, you're walking away with a $1 million. Right. And the other important piece to know is is when they buy these businesses, typically they're buying them free of encumbrances, meaning that they can have no debt. So if you've got paint contracts, you've got equipment uh, loans and other things like that, all that has to be paid off. So again, you get $2 million offer, you owe 500000 on yep. this, and then you owe $700,000 in tax. Then you're at the end of the day, you don't have a million dollars you're walking away with. So does it even make sense to sell? So that's that's what uh, Chad and I and our team really pride ourselves in is making sure when we do the valuation that the customer understands, you know, what the business is worth, what they can get for it, help them get with their accountant and understand what we can do as far yeah. as the tax and the negotiation and, and, and understand that so they can get a firm understanding of what the net money is going to look like. Right. And then on top of that, if they own their real estate, help them understand what's the best mechanism on a real estate. Because a lot of times what happens is, you know, whoever's buying wants to come in and buy the real estate. And that's great for whoever wants to buy it. But then what happens is a lot of times post-sale, that buyer will then sell that real estate with a long-term lease with whoever the buyer is. And then they might have paid a million dollars for the property, but then they're selling it for two and a half million. So then whatever they paid for the business was offset by that, you know, and that's not fair to... Um, you know, a, a body shop owner, you know what I mean, that thinks they're doing the right thing. That, that's another way of leaving money on the table. Right, for sure. And so what, you know, if, if I guess my perspective is this, is if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I want to sell my shop, then in my opinion, they are an informed seller, right? Correct. Because they know they need help. Right. And they know that, hey, I have to do this. The ones that aren't coming to you are likely uninformed sellers because they don't recognize there's somebody out there to help them. And They're ostriches. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, so let me ask you this. What percentage of those that are coming to you, because if these are the informed ones that are coming to you, what percentage of them know those things? Right? Uh, that's a good question. You got any idea on that, Chad? What percentage of the sellers that aren't coming to us that are No, selling? what percentage of the ones that are, right? The guys that are informed that okay. are coming to you. She just dropped some heavy stuff on the table. I mean, do, do five out of ten of them know those things that she's oh, bringing up? Or are they coming I, I into would, this and saying, oh, my God, I didn't know I would God, say I most of them come in thinking they're an informed seller. Yeah. And when we get done, they realize they were uninformed. Right. Yeah, 100%. I mean, honestly, I would honestly th- – and I'm not saying that to toot our horn, but there's right. so many opinions in our industry yeah. you know, of what should be or what has happened. And usually yeah. we, we crush all of them. Yeah. I, would, I would say one to two out of ten. Yeah, are oh really, are really, are really on their p's and q's and educating. We don't, right? We don't bring something to the table they didn't already, right? Know. I would even, I would say one out of ten. I can only think of one buyer uh, in the last you know, year actually, right? That that kind of knew everything um, and probably borderline didn't need us, <laughs> right? 
And, right. and, and you know, I've, I've watched. And the thing about it is changing, though. That's the other thing. What the market is today is not what it was six months ago, and it's not what it's going to be next year. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I've watched some some good shop owners that I know out scooping up shops, and I've talked to them about their strategy and some of the things that they're doing and the ways that they're acquiring these shops and the things that they're saying to the owner to make them sell the shop cheap and, and sure. little things they're doing here and there so mm-hmm. they get a better deal, right? Right. And so when we talk about where the market is right now, because you're exactly right, the market is changing and the market will forever change. It will never be consistent. I, I was actually at this show two years ago. I was talking to a friend of mine and he said the mergers and acquisitions, it's crazy. He said, especially in the collision space, he said, they're, I mean, they're flying through like nobody's business. He said, I've never seen this many mergers. He said, it's insane. And then we were here the next year and he said, surely it's almost over now. Like, surely they're going to they're going to stop. And then, you know, he's here this year and he said, holy cow, it's still going. But, you know, it's like the Andy Andrews thing. Well, we must have really missed it this time. And then yeah. they still continue on. Is this going to be a trend we continue to see? Oh, we're definitely going to see the trend. I think, though, it's going to be um, like a roller coaster ride. I think, you know, there's there's some things that are forthcoming in the next 12 to 15 months that are going to change things. And, and beyond that, I don't really know what's going to happen. But I think we're definitely going to have consolidation continuing for a while, a good yeah. while. Um, but I think that... Um, where it goes, you know, nobody really knows, right. you know, obviously, but I, I definitely think it's going to continue. But I think like right now uh, and definitely for the next 12 months, I think we're going to see the some of the highest values we've seen so far. And I, and I said that two years ago, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and they were crazy yeah. then, you know, but, um, you know, and again, it's kind of like a roller coaster. I mean, the beginning of this year, you know, when interest rates went, went crazy, yeah. um, they, you know, offers kind of went down. We just didn't have as much aggressive buyers. Uh, our Q1 was, I mean, we were dead. Yep. Um, yep. And then Q2, Q3, Q4 has been absolutely wide open. And and, I, and really, we most of what we've done has been in Q2, Q3, and Q4 yep. um, of this year. So I think that's that trend's going to continue. And a lot of people have said, well, wow, the interest rates are so high. H- how are they doing this? Uh, c- Consolidators and private equity, they know, and anybody that's in this business knows, if you're not growing, you're dying. So yeah. they have to grow. They have to continue. Even though the, the interest rates are high, if they don't, they're dying. Especially so. if they have shareholders looking at them. Yeah, 100%. Right? Because that, that's the only way they ever grow yeah. is they have, to, they have to have more production somewhere. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, and, and you know, this is kind of off-the-wall, oddball question. Is the current market, especially when we talk about technicians, sustainable, right? Because we've talked a little bit about the fact that these guys are still working to build culture, still working to pay them really well. Now that they've realized if they lose everybody, that was their their primary asset in that organization was the people, right? Um, and, and we've seen, especially in the mechanical space, we've seen guys get massive raises, especially in dealerships. Yeah, it is insane. $120,000, $140,000 a year? Yeah. And and I think my fear for them is, is you've got a technician who comes in and says, oh, I'm earning $140,000 a year. And, and I was talking to somebody a while back who's really in the know with a number of dealerships. I mean, 280 dealerships, to give you an idea. And he said, you know, he said, they did it to themselves. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, Lucas, he said, do you know the first people in those organizations that will go when it slows down? He said, they traded loyalty 
and and he said, you know, we were going to pay him a little bit less, but we we're going to be a little more loyal to him. And he said, but I can promise you now, they're not going to be getting those big paychecks because the minute that something happens and that shop slows down, he said, they're off. He said, we're not interested in keeping them. And I thought, wow, that's a really crazy thought process because they've been paying all these huge wages. The technicians want more, 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 more. They want these big benefit packages. But if there's no security in that, is that really worth that extra money? And and what's scary for me is I've watched these technicians go and they're out here and they're saying, okay, all right, I got $140,000. Well, guess what? Their expenses did this, right? And they started living a $140,000 lifestyle. And now they lose that $140,000. What happens? Is this sustainable? Are we going to continue to see this? Well, my thoughts are on this, and I'll let Chad chime in here in a minute. Um, I feel like we as a country, um, we as an educational system caused all this to occur. You know, I think back to when I graduated high school or when I was, you know, in my senior years, I graduated in 1990. Yes, I'm telling on myself. (laughs) Um, But I remember like the push to go to college, you know, yeah. Chad and I are the same age. Let me let the record show on that. We're both 51. <laughs> I knew that was slide. Anyway. She looks way younger, Chad. I'm just telling you. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, but that big push to go to college. And I will yeah. tell you, um, I went to community college. Um, yeah. The year I graduated high school, my dad's business went bankrupt. So it was a crisis in my household at that time, you know, financially. Yeah. yeah. And um, not even sure I would have gone to college far away because I was a little scared of it, you know. But right. at the end of the day, um, I think that there was such a push. And the people that went to college, you know, and graduated and, oh, my gosh, these parties and, you know, people raving. And, yeah. you know, even my own mother, everybody that graduated college, my mother, like, puts on a pedestal even to this day. Right. So I think what's happened is, is you know, we as a country have like created this, you know, if you don't go to college, you're a dummy. You know what I mean? And I don't know about you. I never graduated college. I've done fantastically well in my, you know, getting education from other sources. And quite honestly, I think better education in a lot of, a lot of ways. Um, So I I feel like there's a lot of people that, that did not graduate that are doing great things. I mean, there's technicians out there making, I had a tech working for me eight years ago that was making $240,000 a year painting cars. Right. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of really brilliant people out there without a a college degree making a lot of money. Um, And I think, honestly, that's going to continue. And I think... There's just such a shortage of technicians and skilled trade. I think it's going to continue because we just don't have any youth coming in. And as much as we'd like to see that blow up, uh, just because, I mean, how much... The writing's not on the wall for it. I mean, you know, we're we're giving all the meat and all the um, fat on the bone. Like, how much more can we give, you know? Yeah. So... I wish to see that it would get more down to earth, but I mean, everybody seems like it's paying 50 cents uh, or 50% of, you know, yeah. labor or, or a lot of people are, you know, or that that's what we see. Um, yeah. or, or like they're key people, at least they're paying that. What do you think, Chad? No, I, I'll second that. And I think too, as a country, we're kind of getting away from the whole, you have to go to college to have a yeah. sustainable career in life. Yeah. I think we're finally making that change. Uh, but I think going back to what your question was and what the core of the probably the statement the gentleman was making was, I, I think, and I, I think mechanical is going to be a little different than collision, but 
as cars change or yeah. evolve or we move to the electrical platform or the hydrogen platform or wherever that's right. going to fall wherever out. Wherever it is we're going. We're we, going somewhere. We don't, we don't know we where. We don't know where yet, but we're yeah. going somewhere. I think it could be that you're going to still be able to have that same possible technician pay, yeah. but as technology improves on the mechanical side, you know, where you might have needed 10 techs to run your dealership. Right. And you do it with five now? Exactly. Exactly. I think that's kind of where on the mechanical side, he might have been heading with that statement right. because as they get more computerized or, again, whatever path we're going down, it might not be quite as, I don't I guess, labor intensive as yeah. it has been historically. Yeah. You know, and I think that's going to eventually perhaps migrate on the collision side, you know. But are we in, are we still in a technician crunch? Yes. Are yeah. we going to be in it for a while? Yes. We're going to be in a skilled trade. It's going to be an inverse relationship regardless of yeah. what we do. We're going to be in a skilled trade shortage across the board. And you're right. right about community college. In North Carolina, you can get a free associate's degree in automotive. It can be an auto body or it can be a mechanical. Free. Mm-hmm. No money. Okay? But parents don't know about it. All right? Parents don't know about it. Kids think parents want – because the, the IMR study, I've got it on my laptop. I'll show it to you. Kids think that mom and dad want me to go to a four-year school. Right? They want to go party. They want to do the fun mm-hmm. stuff. Did either one of you at 18 know what it was that you wanted to do with the rest of your life? Heck no. And that's right. what I tell I, my son that. I, I, I kind of I did. I'll just be <laughs> honest. I was a weirdo. And I'm, I'll claim it. I'll own it. Because I, I went into college. I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't know it was going to be a body shop industry yeah. that I'd eventually land in. But I always knew I wanted to be in business. Yeah. That's what I wanted to be. So my, my avenue was through accounting, blah, blah, blah. I, but mo- majority, 98% of the kids, I've got to just turn 20 this weekend, still just oblivious. I, what do you want to do? I, you know. Look, I'm going to tell you and something. And that's understandable. I, I, have got, I have got students that come into my shop. They got four years degrees, and they're now in a master's program or a, a higher program than what they were in to begin with. Okay. After a four-year degree. Sure. And they're getting liberal arts degrees. And people around them are saying, what are you going to do with that? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. And you know where they're working? Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. McDonald's. The local restaurants. The hotels. Now, look, from my perspective, I, I think we're I think we're in a bigger mess than what we realize. Because the IMR study shows that we need 880,000 technicians in the next six years. Okay? And you would think, well, wait a minute. Automotive technicians, we're in a real shortage. No, I hate to tell you, they're only number five on the list, right? There's there's trades that are hurting worse than us. And and we're number five as far as the image and the way that people would well, consider coming to work. The perception of the industry. Right. Yep. We're only number five. So could you imagine all those other trades? Now, he, here's my thing, okay? What we have officially done at this point in time from my perspective is, is we've told everybody – that you should really go get a four-year degree, and you should really learn this whatever trait. Well, the problem is not everybody can be doctors and lawyers. And so what we have created is we have created an industry of service in this country, which is is we've got a lot of hospitality. Look how many people work in this hotel here at Apex, right? We've got food service. We've got hotel maids. We are offering services, and we have not trained up the next generation to be able to to do the actual work, to create actual production, to create actual GDP. We're depending on other countries to give us money, right? You know, in the basic, some of things, it would seem like we're just going to expect people to come here and spend money, come stay in our hotel, right? 
what do we have to offer? Right? Are we not in trouble if this continues? Do we not have to change the direction we're going? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. No, I, I agree 100%. I think the younger generation is losing what that essence of work really, yeah. what it looks like, what it means, or the desire to even participate. Yeah, and buddy. It, you know, yeah. I mean, we're in such a digital world now, I guess, to just use the term. They, 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 that's where they think they should land. Right. But that's where they're expected to land because that's the newest and latest whatever versus what we're talking about. You know, one of the one of the things that I fell in love with with my business, right? I was in the technical role. And so I was the, the tech working in the shop. And I love turning nuts and bolts to achieve a result. And I like to see things improve. And I like to see things get better. And so when when I started working on my business to fix it and make it what it is today, I realized that maximizing my business was fun. It was enjoyable. Watching it grow, mm-hmm. watching the numbers change, managing to the KPIs and making it do what it does is a fun process. I, I think that in so many ways... We have discounted everything that is the skilled trades because we've said, well, if you want to be a mechanic, if you want to go to automotive school, right, whether it's it's a trade school, whether it's a high school with an automotive program, a community college, whatever it is, we've said your only option is, is you'll work on cars for the rest of your life. But that's not true. Uh, and And I think they miss it because, you know, our local high school, the way it works is, is they have this whole classroom set up that works on teacher cars. And so they teach them from the very, very first interaction. Here's how you speak to the client. Here's what you do. Here's how you explain what the charges are going to be. Here's how you get the authorization. Here's where you work on the car. And here's how you do this and, and the entire process. Mm-hmm. And so he teaches them how to be business owners. He teaches them how to be service writers. He teaches them how to be estimators. Right? Now, it's not in the curriculum. And, and the curriculum is very, very set to the NASTF or NATEF standard, what they have to teach. And it's very interesting to see how he does it and incorporates it all mm-hmm. into one. But the point is, is, I want you to look around this room out here. How many people are here in the automotive industry right now? You could be in marketing. You could be an engineer. You could be in computer sciences. You could be in any single field in automotive that you wanted to. But what we've done is we've told them, if you're going to be in automotive, you have to go to automotive tech class. I I, I don't know about y'all, but this new technology that we're seeing develop, and I, I'm curious, are you seeing that folks are saying, hey, I want out because of the new technology that's coming in? ADOS, EV, are they saying, hey, I don't want to work on this? I think there's a mix of that. I think there's a mix of people not wanting to spend the money to retool. You know, cause there's going to be a tremendous amount of expense in retooling, especially in the, on yeah. the collision side. Um, and then when you talk about, you know, all these calibrations and different things that are involved with, you know, uh, ADOS, um, there's a lot of folks that aren't really doing what they're supposed to be with that. They, yeah. they, they're overwhelmed by it. Um, and honestly, there's just such a mix of education out there and consequently creates a mix of understanding. Yeah. Um, I think that just complicates issues and, you know, I think that where we're at right now is that there's a lot of older people that are specifically in the collision trade and in the mechan- on the mechanical side that just don't want to be aggravated with it. Yeah. You know, they just, you know, they're they're used to pulling their pants on the same way. They don't want to they've been using right. zippers. They don't want to start using buttons. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. I 
I think that's my best assumption of it. What? How well, about yeah, you? I agree with that 100. And I think you know, in this space that we are now, the automotive trends are changing more rapidly than they've ever changed before. Yeah. And I think we're going to see it. We do. I see a lot of clients who just see it coming. They just want any part of it. Yeah. And I think that's the downside of it. But I think the upside of that too is, I think that opens up going back to what we were talking about with technicians. Yeah. That opens up another avenue to bring the right. younger generation in that might otherwise would never have came in because Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. So I, I think it depends how you look at it. You know, the guidance counselors. Sure. Right? When, when we talk about that, do you know what the, the number one thing is? When the guidance counselors finally come into the automotive program and they look and see what it is that we're doing now, right. they say, holy shit. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, we, we just thought y'all were down here like turning wrenches or something. No, nah, actually, we're taking boards apart and we're writing EEPROM to mm. the chipset on the board in hexadecimal code. Oh, uh, well, we've been sending you kids that can't read and write. Mm. <laughs> Sorry about that. Right. Right. And, and so now it, it's, I think it shows that there's so much opportunity and so much potential. And I'm excited for the next generation of shop owners, right? And I know you, you guys work a lot with, with corporations and things like that, but I'm excited to see what the next generation of independent owner looks like in the um, automotive space, because I think it's going to be really cool to see what they're capable of. And honestly, that's one thing that, you know, at CIC, I, I said a couple of times, it's important to understand that we're not fear mongering by any we're, we're absolutely anti-fear-mongering. There's absolutely yeah. a, a place for the independent body shop owner, mechanical yeah. shop owner, tire shop owner, whatever, you know, whatever yeah. it is that you want to do in the automotive space, there's absolutely a place for you because there's people like Chad and I that that's, that's who we're going to have our car fixed at. You know, right. we're not going to go to McDonald's or Chick-fil-A and have our car fixed. You know, yeah. we're going to, we're going to go to, we're going to choose an independent every single time. Right. And not only that, you know, I think independents have a lot more control. Um, it's just a, a different feel. And I, I just think that there's always going to be a need, a desire, a want uh, for that type and level of service. Yeah. That, that true care and compassion mm. yeah. that independent provides for their people. Right. And yeah. I think that's one thing that came out of some of the CIC panels this morning was, and it was unanimous that this space that we're in now is still the best time to be a yeah. shop owner. It's the yeah. best time if you're a consolidator. It's the best time if you're a small regional oh. MSO. It's the best time if you're a one shop independent. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. there's a lot of opportunities out there still that are available for you to be successful. You yeah. might not be able to do the same thing you've done 10 years ago. You, of course, we all know what change is. Nobody likes it. Right. But change is always constant. Exactly. And you're going to have to realize that. <laughs> you better you, accept it. You better because it's going to be there. Right. But if you're willing to understand that, there's a place for you still as an independent shop. It might not look yeah. like it did two or three years yeah. ago, but it could look better than it did. And you just yeah. don't realize it. Yeah. Exactly. And, exactly. And you just have to put on a different pair of glasses. I think that's the, the, the biggest struggle yeah. For all of us, you know, we're sure. used to putting our pants on the same way. We have to think about, you know, a different style of pants or or a different Be a outfit. Little creative, yeah, think outside yeah. the box a little bit. Yeah, you just have to start kind of looking around and seeing, you know, different ideas and thoughts that are out there. You know. Well, so in closing, I do have one more question for both of you. Since you've retired, is retired the right word? No, I hate that <laughs> since, word. <laughs> since you sold your shops. What is life like now? What do you? I I see your Facebook post. I don't even want to ask you that question, Chad. What do you? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it was, are you sitting uh, on the beach all the time? No, 
Uh, come I, mean, on. I, I work just as much now as I did when we had three shops. I but did that's too. Just, that's what are you talking about? Well, he asked me. He didn't ask you. Okay. She's sitting but, on the beach with us. No, she's not either. She's she's hardcore just like I am. That's why we get along so well. Right. And it's simply because we. I just knew that I needed. I wanted a change. Yeah. You know, whatever that changed. And I honestly, whenever we sold, you know, Laura helped us with our transaction, and we were getting close to the closing date, and I was like. You know, you sound like you're kind of busy. She's like, yeah, I'm swamped. I don't know what I'm – I was like, I need to come to work for you. She's like, well, we can make that happen. You know, three right. months after we sold, I'm like, hey, I'm ready. Let's do this because I've already gotten bored. Yeah. But, you know, it's a lot different. And it, it right. goes back to what your statement was. To say as a young individual, if you get into the automotive world, you're going to be a technician. Right. And that's where you're going to land. I yeah. mean, you've got two prime examples in you as well. You know, just because you enter into it one way does not right. mean you're pigeonholed in that lane. Exactly. There's all kind of different things that you can, I'm going to use the word blossom out from yeah. that most people don't see. I mean, my background was in business, accounting. I got into the shop. I grew the shop. And then I'm still I'm still in the industry now. And I okay. do that by choice because I have that love for that industry. I want to stay involved yeah. and see other people be successful, whatever that success looks for them. If it's yeah. migrating to another career, if it's migrating to the beach or whatever it is, right? you know, enjoying that exactly and and man that that's a perfect explanation of it because i've heard so many people talk about retirement and say i'm gonna be done i'm gonna sell the place and i'm gonna be done and i look my dad in 89 my dad retired from the family business and two months later it burnt down and it it cost him 3.6 million dollars in the end of the day and he said well I'm not retiring anymore. <laughs> so he still works to this day. I, I think we've got to stop putting uh, the the conventional lens of retirement on retirement. I and I, I think we have to understand that retirement is really a place that we're getting to, is a destination that we're trying to achieve where we, we can set some goals and set some stuff in place for what we want the rest of life to look like. Be prepared for the future. What about you? How do you feel now that you've – gotten busier (laughs) so um when i first sold my intention was not to work again i was not going to work um and was in a position where i didn't have to and um but what happened was just like chad i went stir crazy um i i focused on being a mom for the first couple of years and enjoyed every moment of that but then my son was getting got his license and he was homeless and my mom duties were less and less. And I was realizing that I was getting ready to em- enter the empty nest mode. And then that's what, you know, got me, you know, kind of getting my feet back in. Yeah. And, and, and meanwhile, along, I was still helping some friends sell, you know, sh- yeah. friends, friends. That's how I started this business was I was helping friends. And one of my friends came to me and said, you know, gosh, I could have never gotten through this without you. You really need to start a business. And I was just doing it. You know how you help your friends yeah. out. Yeah. And uh, and that's how this business got started. And um, but um, I, I think that, you know, yes, I have a good time. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. But I do work really, really hard. Definitely. Uh, but Definitely. I, but I start really early in the morning and uh, and I just, you know, we all get the same 24 hours. You just got to figure out how Amen. you're going to use it. So maximize every square inch Exactly. Of it. Every square but inch. But yes, I, I'm... I'm happy uh, that, that, you know, I, I'm, I still work probably 50, 60 hours a week now, but right. 
you know, I, I think again, it's it's 2.0 careers. There's lots of them out there. I'm enjoying, loving what we're doing. Yeah. I think for me and for Chad, we love to help other shop owners. Right. Just even if it's just understand and, and have some understanding of everything, even if they don't help us, because I think that for us, both of us, it just draws us crazy when we see shop owners get screwed or get the short end yeah. of the stick. It's just, you know, it's, we were shop owners, so we get it. You know what yeah. I mean? You know, we worked Absolutely. our ass off. I, I washed cars in my high heels. You know, Chad did not wash cars in high heels, no, I hope. I, no. I mean, he might have. You never know. I, I know. Mean, this no. is a weird world we live in. Yes. It is that, but, no. but, but what I'm saying is seriously is that, We've all walked the walk. And yeah. when it's time to sell, you should definitely realize every cent that's coming to you and not leave anything on the table. Yeah. And however you get to that is important that you take the time and not scurry through the process because, you know, it's easy to, um, I don't want to say get confused by the smiles and the handshakes yeah. and the, the pomp and circumstance and the emotions, the emotions of of, of yeah. all of it going on, you know. Yeah. And we've never been advocates for anyone to sell, but we're advocates if you're going to sell, yeah. do it right because you've only got one shot. Yeah. I, I, I really believe that if if you own a business, you should get a valuation done and you should at least have an emergency plan that if something Agreed. happens – You've got some structure. You've got some idea. You know what to do. You know how to handle it. You know what to expect. Because it's not you that's going to pay that price. It's Mm -hmm. your loved ones that have to handle that. And so I think it's really important to at least have a succession plan, a black book with all of your telephone numbers, all that information in it. So you can at least prepare whoever's going to come behind you and clean the mess up. You know? Right. Well, thank you. Of course. How can they contact you if you've got a collision shop you want to sell? So our website is consolidationcoach.com and you can reach us at 301-399-8675 or my email, laura at consolidationcoach.com. You can also add her on Facebook and see what beach she's on today. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Thank you guys for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.